You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing The Fun House, released March 13th, 1981. It was written by Lawrence J. Block, directed by Toby Hooper, and released by Universal Pictures. The production made use of a full-size carnival. Everything but the actual funhouse was original to the 40s and 50s. It was relocated from Akron, Ohio to the production in Miami, Florida. The funhouse set was constructed on a studio backlot. So the so the so you said everything was authentic except the funhouse? Correct. Okay, cuz I really have some problems with the structure of the funhouse. Yes. Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> Just make sure. <laughs> the film's novelization was written by Dean Koontz under the pseudonym Owen West but is often credited as the original text as a result of being released before the film after post-production delays. Universal had made some attempt to scale back on screenwriter Larry Block's profit participation, but Kuntz actually negotiated for Block to receive a share of the book sales, and reprints have been credited to Dean Kuntz. So when it first came out, it said that it was Owen West, but now if you buy the Funhouse novelization, it says Dean Kuntz. But a lot of people think... Oh, that's that movie based on that Dean Koontz book. <laughs> During filming, a large cog broke loose from the machinery and nearly collided with director Hooper until an extra intervened, breaking their arm in the process. <gasps> Damn. Hooper was also bitten by a brown recluse spider on the oh, set. Oh, Jesus. While making the film, Spielberg reached out to Hooper with an offer to direct E.T., but he turned it down to work on this film. Oh, whoops. Later, they would famously collaborate on Poltergeist. Yeah, I, at first I was like, well, that's probably better for E.T. that it, things worked out that way. But yeah. then it's like, I would love to see Toby Hooper's E.T. Oh, man. The, a lot the, darker. A lot darker, and I can only imagine what the creature design would have been. Yeah, this, the script is pretty scary. Like, the E.T. script, the original script, and if you've read the script for the sequel that never happened, like, yeah. there's, like, evil E.T.'s and oh, stuff. Oh, no. Rumors persist that Spielberg took over directing duties on their follow-up partnership Poltergeist, but I tend to side with the testimonies that credit Hooper for the work, because after a recent rewatch, it honestly doesn't feel like a Spielberg movie, yeah. like the directing style. Uh, the French title for this film roughly translates to Massacres on the Ghost Train. <laughs> what? I want to watch that movie. Yeah, is that I like... You did. Is it Terror Train, and then you just put the title on the wrong movie? No, but it's got to be a ghost train. Well, it's a ghost train in that it's not full a of dead regular people. train. Maybe well, that's just what they call, you know, haunted fun house things in France. They're ghost trains. The Brazilian title doubles as the American tagline, pay to get in, pray to get out. The fun house landed in section two of the official video nasty list, meaning it was banned but never successfully prosecuted, though it's possible that the fun house made the list by accident, yeah. having been confused for Last House on Dead End Street, released in some markets as the fun house is three words ah i was gonna say there's nothing particularly gruesome in this not really we start with a bombastic score that fades into bouncy carnival music as animatronics are pictured on screen besides the names of the cast and crew 
The titles end on a carnival poster on a bedroom door in a suburban home. In POV, we push into the room and find a pirate flag, a Frankenstein poster, a Dracula poster, a dozen rubber masks. The POV approaches a desk in the corner with a mouse cage and a bunch of rubber spiders. We cut to a bathroom where a young girl turns on the shower, and by young, I mean production began on May 10th, and she turned 18 a week earlier on May 2nd. Oh, see, I was, yeah, I immediately paused the film and Googled how old she was. Like, I was Am I going like, to watch this? This is disturbing, because yeah. she looks like a child. Yeah, we're back in uh, uh, Blue Lagoon territory. Back in the POV bedroom, the camera moves up to a creepy dummy head mounted on the wall. This was actually loaned by Sherry Lewis of Lamb Chop's Play Along fame. <laughs> a gloved hand flicks a lever, causing the head to blink. The glove grabs a knife off the wall, and we cut back to the bathroom, where the girl removes her robe and steps into the shower. The POV character takes a clown mask off the wall, and we see through its eyes on the way to the bathroom. Yeah, it's kind of a cool shot where it like puts on the mask. Yeah, in like with one hand, kind of like to the camera. Yeah, um, which is a clear Halloween reference at the yeah. time. Uh, and then we're obviously moving from that into a psycho reference. Uh, the the girl is sponging herself in the shower when a shadowy figure approaches from behind the curtain. He throws it open, and he swings the knife down at her repeatedly. She grabs his arm to slow it down for the final stab, and when the knife reaches her torso, it bends away from her because it is a prop knife. She whips off the mask of her attacker, and it's her younger brother, Joey, who apparently wanted to get an eyeful of his sister Amy's goods. Oh, God. She re-robes and stomps down the hall to his room, where she sees a kid-shaped lump under the sheets, and it moves... Keep this in mind, listeners. The blankets clearly move. She peels the sheets back to find the dummy head with a knife jammed in its wooden skull, so the kid wasn't in the bed. But if you'll recall from just a moment ago, <laughs> the blankets moved when she entered the room. She tears open the closet door, and a camera flashes at her. She reaches behind the clothes to drag her brother out of the room, swearing bloody vengeance on him. I'm going to get even with you. You're not going to know when or where, but I'm going to get you so bad you're never going to forget it. Never! Never! She also retracts an offer she made to take him to the carnival this weekend. I'm guessing he was excited about it because he has a poster for the carnival on his bedroom door, but she's not going to bring him anymore. I have issues with this later, too. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I know where you're getting at. Joey drops the camera and runs from the room, and when Amy picks up the camera to inspect the photo Joey took, she sees her angry face with Frankenstein's monster over her shoulder and the poster behind her. Apparently, in the original script draft, the brother snuck a snake into the shower. He doesn't throw up in the curtain to stab his naked sister multiple times. I think that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. Downstairs, their parents are watching The Bride of Frankenstein. Amy's mom gives her shit about dating a gas station attendant, and her father forbids her from going to the carnival in town. It's the same one that went through Fairfield last year when they found the bodies of those two little girls in Parsons Creek. Amy lies that they're going to a movie. Her boyfriend Buzz arrives and honks for her to come out. Amy asks if they can switch to seeing a movie instead of the carnival, but it's a non-starter. They pick up friends Rich and Liz, and then Buzz tells a joke about a dancing duck. Well, the MC says... I don't understand. <coughs> what do you need an outlet for? <laughs> Duck trainer looks at him and says, I need to plug the hot plate in. What do you think? This duck dances by himself? 
my favorite part of this here is that Cooper Huckabee, who's playing the boyfriend Buzz here, over explains the punchline to Amy when she doesn't laugh at it. And this isn't the last time that he tries to right, explain yeah. the joke to her. Amy, the duck doesn't actually dance, it burns its feet on the hot plate. Earth to Mars, come in, Amy. <laughs> I just like the way he says, it burns its feet on the hot plate. Earth to Mars. Uh, he's so great. Back at home, we see Joey climbing down a trellis on the side of the house to sneak out. As he walks to the carnival, Joey is startled by a dog who jumps at a fence beside him. At the carnival, Buzz hammers down on one of those strength meter games and wins Amy a stuffed panda. On a Ferris wheel later, he tries again to explain the duck joke. kind of have to picture the little duck's orange feet just hopping around like it's dancing. I get it. I get the joke, okay? You do? Yes. Liz and Amy step into the ladies' room, or a ladies' tent, I guess. Yeah, it's like got uh, like a pl- pl- pallets on the floor for yeah. flooring. Yeah, but it has like walls and stalls yeah. so and a sink, so it's, it's more of a structure than I expected at a carnival. But uh, they duck into this room for a moment to fail the Bechdel test together, and Liz congratulates Amy on her hot boyfriend. <laughs> if you play your cards right, you may not have to spend the rest of your life a virgin. Suddenly, an old homeless-looking lady comes out with a friendly warning. God is watching you. Beg your pardon? He hears everything. The old lady wanders off, but we get one more God is watching you before the scene ends. On the road to the carnival, a truck pulls over to offer Joey a ride, and when he passes, the driver levels a shotgun at the boy. The kid runs away, and the driver cracks up like something funny happened. Yeah, I, I really, he just keeps cackling, and then it just cuts away. I was like, you know what? Good. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that. I think Does his initial plan. No, nope, nope, not at all. at all. I think what he was going to do was murder the kid, <laughs> and then the kid went the wrong way for him to, like, chase him and murder him, so he's just like, I'm oh, such well. an idiot. I didn't even consider that he could go that way. Got to get him in the car first. But, like... I don't understand what this guy's plan was. Like, because <laughs> wouldn't you think that the second this kid got to any other adult, they'd be like, we have to go find the guy in that truck that has a shotgun that he pointed at a child. I don't know. I think in 1980, this was a regular sport that people did, where you just point a gun at a kid and then laugh at it. Okay. At the carnival, Amy locks eyes with the freak show barker before Buzz drags her into the show. They see a cow with a cleft palate. And Rich says it looks like their gym teacher, Larry Latner. <laughs> he tries to use this joke quite a bit, too. Yeah. He must really have it out for Larry Latner. Amy tries to pet a cow under a big sign that says, Two-headed cow, and is shocked when it turns toward her, and it has a second head. <laughs> That's what the sign says, lady. There's another sign on their way out of the tent that reads, Do not molest the animals. I think this is a subtle hint at something that we'll get throughout this movie, and I'll touch on my... My overall theory at the end. You're not going to be touching anything. Oh, yes I will. Richie urges everyone into a separate room containing a fetus floating in a tank. Richie makes another joke about Coach Latner, and it goes over just as well as the first one. <laughs> and and I kept waiting, I'm going to spoil it right now, for this fetus thing to come into play. Yeah. It does a little bit. They reference it again. Yeah. yeah but, but it doesn't open its eyes. No. It doesn't attack anybody. It's not alive. But You don't but know that? that. That's, that's what, what I was wanted. wanting to happen. He wanted that to be a Bacta tank. <laughs> After the girls leave, Buzz dips his hand in the tank yeah. and then pretends the fetus bit him. 
When Rich moves to inspect the wound, Buzz wipes the fetus slime across Rich's face as a joke. Outside the freak show, we move past the girly tent, where the Barker outside is pimping his hot sister to the crowd. What is it with this movie and bros peeping on their sisters? Way ahead of its time. What? Next, they pass the funhouse again, and Amy locks eyes with the Barker outside of that. It's her turn now to pick a ride, and she suggests the magician show. Joey arrives at the carnival with a sock full of coins to buy his way in. In the magic show, the magician calls a reluctant girl out of the crowd for his next trick. Or, I guess his first trick. <laughs> we don't see him do anything else. Oh, I, I guess we have to assume that this, this act has been going on for a little while. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, he places her in a stood-up coffin on the stage, and then he drives a stake through a painted heart on the coffin. For the entire presentation before the trick, he is getting quietly heckled. Like, every two seconds, someone yeah. says something like, yeah. Keep your day job, bozo. Notice, if you will, that a hole has been cut in the front of this box, right over the human heart within. I insert the stake gently. Do you feel it, dear? Yes. Find a new profession. Good. And now, without further ado, I present the impaler. When he hammers the stake in, blood rockets from the girl's mouth, and he seems to panic. When he opens the box, she is dressed in a glittery magician's assistant outfit and takes a bow for the crowd. The magician introduces her as his lovely daughter and informs the crowd that the next show starts in two hours. Two hours? You've been up there for three minutes. Does this take two hours to reset? Also, it's like we've already established that it's like past nine o'clock. Right. So like you're at e- eleven, you're gonna come back and do yeah, this. Yeah. E- even even if it was at nine when they got there, yeah. Then it's got to be closer to ten. And so then on top of all that, why would these same people come back in two hours <laughs> to see this <laughs> for the, for the joke they already know the punchline to? To heckle him. <laughs> yeah keep your day job bozo amy and friends share a joint in the shadow of a tent and take turns looking ridiculously suspicious the cobra ride that we see spinning extras around in the background was left running for the length of a few takes without stopping down the crew became concerned that the weather might be turning when they felt sprinkles until they realized that what should have been a four minute ride had been running for over 20 minutes and the extras had all started vomiting all oh. over each other oh no <laughs> The couples all move to get a reading from Madame Zena. Zena sucks down a liquor bottle in secret before attending to them. Amy gets the first palm reading, and her friends laugh through the whole thing because they're stoned jerks. Zena tells Amy that a tall, dark stranger will change her life. <laughs> Larry Latner, right? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, someone laughs at the joke, though I think it was Richie laughing at his own joke. Zena has heard enough and tells them all to get the fuck out of her tent. Don't come back or I'll break every bone in your fucking bodies. Apparently this actress improvised that line. (laughs) It worked because I would be like, yeah, I'm getting out of here. Okay, sorry, lady. Also, there was maybe a hint at some kind of supernatural thing when her crystal ball rolls back to her hands. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was, yeah, but they definitely did that shot in reverse. Yeah, totally. I I liked that effect, though, because it was pretty subtle. Mm Mm-hmm. Joey waits in line outside the funhouse until a man in a Frankenstein costume buckles him into a car and sets the dark ride in motion. We get a quick Barker montage from the funhouse Barker. To the freak show Barker. 18 of the worst mistakes 
that nature ever visited on man or beast. They are all inside and alive. To the girly show, Barker. My own lovely sister. Right in. Mona, the beautiful Mona. He wiggles and she dances. And just like the main characters are intrigued by the show and decide to walk around behind the tent to peek through the holes in the back of the girly strip show. One of the men leading the strip show briefly emulates Al Jolson. I remember what Al Jolson once said. Ha ha, wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. You remember the last time we played that clip of Al Jolson? Uh, was it in that um, Neil Diamond movie? It was. <laughs> What's the name of that movie? Uh, Jazz Singer. The Jazz, Jazz Singer. Singer. There, there you go. go. Most of the holes cut in the back of this tent are taped over, probably from previous cities that they were at. So Buzz has to cut a new one, and he gives Amy a peek at the show, and she is disgusted. These strippers were all local Miami strippers that they found at a strip club, and they were like, you look like the kind of strippers that would be in a carnival <laughs> show. <laughs> Come on out. Liz walks around the corner and crashes into another dude peeking in on the show. They notice the guy in the Frankenstein costume walking back to the funhouse. Richie comes up with a brilliant idea. Let's spend the night. What? In the fun house. Crazy. Fred and Eddie did it two years ago in Fairfield County. Right, and you believe You know, Richie, you're so bullshit. I'm telling you, they did it, and so can we. Amy and Liz call their folks and lie that they're staying at each other's houses. During Amy's call, she asks if her mother is okay, which is actually the second hint of her mother's rampant alcoholism, mm -hmm. because she's drinking the whole way through the first scene that she has, and she must be making some concerning noises in the background here to inspire the question from Amy. We'll see more of it later. I don't get this this concept of spending the night in the funhouse. Yeah, no, it sounds awful. Like, I don't know why you... anyone would go along with it. Not because it's scary. It would just be purely like totally uncomfortable yeah like, that's i think not... it's just for bragging rights <laughs> but like where are you gonna go to the bathroom who and, cares and, like, don't poop have... in a skeleton you're in a fucking fun house <laughs> 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 don't tell me you've but... never pooped in a skeleton <laughs> but suppose it goes right through it's a seven thing to that's collect right. it exactly <laughs> At least poop in the skull. The toilet doesn't just collect your shit. It's supposed to fall out of the bottom. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to this. I hope you don't recover from this. <laughs> I hope you die. <laughs> I actually don't think their intention is to spend the entire night there. I think by spend the night in the fun house, they just mean let's stay in after hours and then fuck in there and then leave. No, I think they do mean all night. Well, what is the escape plan? Do you do you wait for the ride to start up again in the morning and then jump on the first empty car? I don't out really of the... feel like they thought this out at yeah, all. Yeah, that, exactly. That's exactly my now point. They're gonna have to sleep with poop in a skeleton and a bunch of uncomfortable like you know fake yeah, knives not, sticking in there. There's them. not beds in here. You're <laughs> yeah. going to be sleeping on like no. steel floors. Yeah, nothing about this seems like a good idea. There's a big animatronic fat lady laughing outside the funhouse wearing what I would call geisha makeup, I think, on its face. Uh, it doesn't look just like regular clown makeup. Amy and friends get on the funhouse ride and from outside Joey watches his sister go in 
and then he sees the empty car come out of the ride, implying that they're still inside. All the puppets inside grind to a halt, and Joey wanders alone through the empty and carnival midway. We follow him from an incredibly high crane that's like 150 feet in the air. It's way above even the Ferris wheel at this carnival. It's a cool shot because it really shows off the scale of they had a full-size carnival set up for this movie. Joey sneaks over to the fun house when the grounds are empty, but is frightened away when the fat lady animatronic jolts back to life suddenly. When he turns to run, he crashes headlong into that homeless bag lady who says that God is watching you. Joey scales the fence to try and steal cars from the parking lot. We cut back inside the funhouse where our two lead couples are making out and they hear a loud bang. They look through the slats on the floor and apparently they're on the second story of the funhouse now. And they see the Frankenstein man leading Madame Zena into the back room. He takes money from a lockbox of the funhouse profits and offers cash to Zena for sex. Yeah. I don't even know how he got this far. Like, how did he communicate to her, I want you to come back to my place for sex? There's some pretty signs that you could do that are very simple that yeah. just hand through a circle and... <laughs> yeah, this way. His, with his gloved Frankenstein hands. Yeah, that would work. She asks for more money until he hands her a Benjamin and they lay across the floor to complete the transaction. She starts to give Frankenstein a hand job. And he ejaculates prematurely. I was really hoping that this psychic woman would say, I saw that coming. (laughs) Frankenstein grunts and gestures that he expects a refund, but Xena refuses. He slams the door shut to lock her in, and then he slams her against, like, a circuit breaker on the wall. And all the animatronics are coming to life because she's flipping all these switches on the breaker. Mm -hmm. So everything's laughing at them, and then he starts choking her to death on the floor. The kids upstairs decide it's time to go. So they start looking for a way out, and they happen upon the room where Zena's body was left. It's like, how did they... Okay, so they got in on the carts. I mean, I would, I would have just followed the track back out. Well, the the doors are locked where the carts go out. Did, did they try that even, though? They try it later in the movie. Okay. And the, and the carts roll up to the double door and just crash into them because they're all locked shut. But they find the room where Zena's body is covered in a sheet, and then nearby, Buzz finds an exit... But Richie says that he wants to check on the woman to make sure that she is beyond saving before they abandon her. But the way he says it is, I'm just going to make sure she's dead. And I imagine them finding him just choking her some more because she woke up. Turns out she is dead. And Richie rejoins the group to find that the door that Buzz found is actually locked. And they continue wandering. This is where we get clue number three of my theory. We cut to Joey scaling another fence outside, and he hears the end of a classic Carney joke. He says, darling, you're the greatest. What did you say your name was again? And he sees these two big eyes just blinking at him out of the dark, and suddenly he hears... (laughs) Joey creeps around a van and is startled away by the opening of a door and then rushes out of the scene. The couples have convened in their room on the second floor again when they hear Frankenstein leading the funhouse barker to Zena's body. The lights are still burnt out from when Frankenstein fried her. The barker doesn't seem shocked by what he is confessing to until he uncovers her face and sees that it's their own fortune teller. You really did it this time, didn't you? You killed one of the family! Frankenstein cowers away from him, and it reminds me of how the Jim Sido character used to slap Leatherface around in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. It's a very similar scene. And the monster behind this mask is suddenly childlike and afraid of retribution for his actions. The Barker's plan is to dump the body somewhere and to pin her murder on the locals. 
Frankenstein gives him the cash that he played Xena, and here the Barker realizes that he took money out of the lockbox to pay for sex. He's already mad about the expenditure, but he's furious when he notices that the whole lockbox has been emptied. Yeah, I was like, I knew it. Yeah. I fucking knew it. Upstairs, Buzz gives Richie a knowing look, while downstairs, Frankenstein has a panic attack and smacks himself in the head repeatedly. Eventually, he tears off the Frankenstein head to reveal a slimy, gray-haired, pink-eyed, split-faced monster head that just starts screaming bloody murder. Richie is fascinated and leans closer to watch when a lighter falls out of his shirt pocket and down into the room below them. The Barker sees the lighter hit the ground and realizes that they have company upstairs. He calls to them, pretending he just wants to talk, but they obviously don't respond. Buzz calls Richie out for taking the money, and he admits to as much. The couples try to make their way out and are startled by someone shaking the outside door to the ride. Outside, we see that it's Joey, still wandering the carnival grounds. Joey thinks he's found a way in, but then the deformed man starts climbing out from under the funhouse, and he turns to run. Again, he collides with a drunken carny immediately upon turning around, and the guy picks him up and walks out of the scene with him. I was really confused by this because it looks just like the the guy that picks him up looks a lot like the Barker. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but I didn't realize it wasn't him yeah, until no. the next scene with the kid. It's the ticket taker guy, but he's just as creepy. At this point, as the Funhouse Barker, I would think that we had the person with the money from the Funhouse because someone ran out of the Funhouse or ran away from the Funhouse and was collected by another carny. But I don't know that they know that the kid was collected. At the very least the monster knows because he saw that happen yeah but he can't say anything he can't communicate it yeah but there's no way i'd let this kid out of my sight if i were him uh, inside the fun house the couples move down the track freaked out by every little sound buzz wrestles a huge prop axe from an animatronic and suddenly all the machines come to life with a lightning crash sound buzz takes a knife from another robot and hands it to richie who tries to refuse it at first but buzz insists like no you need to take a weapon because we're going to have problems in here. In the back room, the Barker seems to be convincing the monster that he should kill all these kids as he loads a gun. He also confirms for us that the deaths that Amy's father mentioned were at the monster's hands. He also mentions that the monster's brother is on display, implying that fetus in a jar was actually mm. a blood relative of this creature. He promises to take the monster on a fishing trip if he murders those four kids. <laughs> it's like, come <laughs> such, on. Such a good dad. We'll go fishing, son. In another hiding spot, Richie tells his friends a story from his childhood. He hid in a closet to scare his brother, but his brother figured it out and locked him in the closet for three hours. He confesses to having pissed himself in there, just as a noose is dropped around his neck and lifts him into the funhouse rafters, solidifying his last words. I pissed in my pants. I was too scared even to touch the doorknob. I pissed in my pants. <laughs> His friends are helpless to cut him down as he's lifted higher and higher out of their reach, and suddenly all the cash he stole is fluttering down at them. Richie's making it rain, just like that time he pissed his pants in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to another office at the carnival, where Amy and Joey's parents have arrived to collect their son. Joey is passed out on the couch? What yeah. happened to this child? Yeah, and he's like, he's like, I cleaned him up real good. And it's the like, carny is caressing what? his face with a wet rag. I washed him up real good. Well, I thought I was like, is he dead? Um, and then, but the parents are also like totally spaced out. Yeah, I think the mom is wasted at this point. Well, I this is where I started to come up with weird theories that that they wanted the kids to go to this carnival so that they would be killed. So they were using reverse psychology on their children to get them murdered. Yeah, like because they just seem really upset that they're alive. 
Yeah. Like the child, this child is alive. Is like, he's like, yeah, well, he's a sweetheart. We'll take him home. It's like, yeah. It's like, why didn't you fucking kill him? <laughs> <laughs> That's what this carnival does, right? You kill people. Back in the ride, Buzz is trying to comfort Liz when suddenly a cart starts rolling through the ride in shadow. Buzz waits on the tracks to bury his axe in the head of the silhouetted figure in the car. And when the lights come back up, the axe is totally lodged in Richie's head. It seems like the Barker or monster just sent his corpse through the ride. But I wish Richie had a line here like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Richie's corpse is carried through the rest of the ride. And Liz follows him screaming, even though he's now double dead. Before her friends can catch up with her, Liz drops through a trap door in the floor. As his parents are trying to load him in the car outside, Joey can't stop staring at the funhouse, and his sister's threat from earlier in the evening rings in his head. This is a problem because it's... I don't understand the point of him hearing this. I don't understand what's going through his head. He, he's, he's deciding whether or not to tell his parents that his sister is in there. It could be one of two things. I think it's either he's remembering this threat... And he assumes that this is a prank that she's playing on him. Mm. Or mm. he's remembering the threat and thinking, well, this is great. Someone yeah, else will kill yeah. her and I don't have to do anything. Yeah. And I think it is the latter. I think the the point of hearing the threat there is to be like, oh, that's why he doesn't say anything to his parents is because uh, she okay. made this evil threat. But that seems weird to me. Like, uh, I think brothers and sisters threaten to kill each other all the time. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's. It, I don't think it would be like a, wow, she really meant it. I better let her die at the hands of a stranger. Yeah. It, it, I didn't quite understand why it was going through his head when I when I saw it. But those both both those theories make sense. Uh, but it's a real dick move on his part. Right. Yeah. But I listened to an interview with this, the actual screenwriter, and I don't even understand what his point is. Like, because he said that uh, he was really glad that they got that voiceover in there because they almost forgot to include it. And it was just going to show him staring at the funhouse. And I feel like that would have made more sense than what happens. But his explanation wasn't that he's worried for her or that he's trying to get her killed. He just said, oh, he's just paralyzed with fear. And it's like, then why play that clip? If the yeah. whole if the point is just that he's paralyzed, then he's just paralyzed and he doesn't say anything to his yeah. parents. But there's no reason for that clip to play unless it's inspiring a decision in his head. Yeah, totally. And he doesn't seem... I've got no indication that this kid is is scared of things. Like he's right. got all this horror stuff in his room. You think that that he would be a little bit thicker skinned? Yeah. But we also don't know what the hell this carnival guy did to him. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that there there is a the pills are still wearing off. Yeah, I f- no really. I feel like there's like a larger implication, and I'm curious if the novelization goes into anything about that. But. It, it seems like this kid has been through some th- shit that we didn't see. Yeah. Somehow, Amy has noticed her parents through a vent with a fan in the wall, and she's screaming as loud as she can for her father's attention, but they can't hear her over the fan. She watches them pile into the car and drive away from the carnival. This this really aggravated me, because, while well, yes, she can't... I, I'll, I'll maybe accept that she can't hear... They can't hear her through the fan, but the belt that's driving the fan is on her side and it's really loose yeah, yeah. you just wrap it's also your... not spinning very fast yeah i mean i'm not, I'm not wouldn't want to stick my hand in but you just yank that belt off i mean it might hurt for a few seconds 
of the right. grinding of that belt. But once you get it off, that fan comes to a stop, and now you also have an exit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, shove something in a fan and try to crawl through. And like, I, I would have figured she'd be thwarted by somebody. But like, that would be what I'd be trying to do is yeah. trying to, to disrupt this fan or cut the power or yeah. something to crawl through. Somebody already cut the power for her earlier, and they didn't take advantage of that moment. Bizarrely, we cut from Amy screaming by this fan to Liz's crumpled body right next to a very similar fan on probably a different level of the funhouse. But because she's in shadow and she's right next to a fan in the same way, I at first thought that we were jumping forward in time and Amy had just fallen asleep near the fan. Yeah, I mean, this is where I start to really question the structure of yeah. this funhouse. Yeah. Because we've we've established at least three or four levels here mm-hmm. because we have like this sub level with right. with with all of this like machinery in it like fans and and gears and pipes and stuff like that which doesn't seem realistic for a mobile carnival mm-hmm. and then you have like i'm not in, and and then i think above that because this is like a like a half floor like because it's not a full size like yeah. stand up on it kind of floor then above that i think is the floor in which they have their offices where the... well, I think the ride goes around their office. Oh, you think so? Okay, because I thought that was below because they were standing above when the yeah. lighter fell. So the ride was above them because that's uh, where maybe. they were. And then the guy gets pulled up into the rafters by the noose. So then there's a level above that. Yeah. And like, I'm and just... we definitely have a full <laughs> level below when the girl falls through the trap door. Yeah. So I'm like, there, there is just there is like so much story real estate house. here, mm-hmm. and it's really long and really wide. And I'm like, I don't know how this fits on a trailer and goes anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, multiple trailers. Yeah, I was gonna say it would have to be like like a prefab construction where you just have multiple trailers that buckle together at some yeah. some kind of configuration so double wide mm-hmm. or a quadruple wide yeah i mean this is this has got to be like six full semis worth of of fun house yeah here. <laughs> liz wakes up here and looks around for a moment until she notices the monster approaching her with her back to the fan there's nowhere to go she begs for her life and eventually offers her body if the monster will spare her behind her back she grips the knife that buzz tried to hand richie earlier i guess she collected that after richie died the monster wraps his arms around her and then she stabs him in the back with this dagger and i was really hoping for a reveal that this was a prop knife that just folded in on itself but that doesn't happen what we do see is that the knife doesn't serve its intended purpose and the monster is able to kill her fairly quickly and then flails around for a while trying to pull the knife out of its back do you remember the last time that a murderous maniac couldn't get the knife out of his back is it uh airplane no, but that did happen in that. <laughs> the maniac like, wasn't the one to, with the knife in his back. He's trying to signal her. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Home sweet home. Oh, yeah. Jake Steinfeld the next day still had the knife sticking out of his back when he jumps out of a tree at her. Somewhere in the building, Buzz leads Amy through a giant set of double doors. Buzz and Amy walk right past the Barker, assuming he's an animatronic, I guess. And then he pulls a gun on them. And we get a cool split diopter shot of them on the killing end of this weapon. The Barker tells them that he's only doing this to protect his family. I'm still not certain if he is the monster's genetic father. Earlier he made some point with the monster about, imagine if I hadn't saved you, or something like that. You know what they would have done to you in Dallas if I hadn't been there, don't you? But here he says that blood is thicker than water, and later there are more indications that he is the actual father of this character. Mm -hmm. He also said something earlier about the monster's mother having left either by choice or death because he says like ever since your mama but my theory which i'll get into now is that 
this creature's mother is one of the cows from the freak show. <laughs> but the cows are still there. Yeah. They didn't leave. Yeah, so they must have just had a falling out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the fact that there's, there's a joke about a person having sex with a cow and the the cows both had like these sort of split faces and this creature has a split face. I, I'm pretty sure that the implication is that... It's a cow baby? Yeah, this guy's been sleeping with the cows in the freak show and then they keep giving birth to weirdos. I don't know. I think that's... That's a little far-fetched. That's not spelled out completely. I feel like more likely the deformities happened because they were siblings. Because there's so many brother-sister connections in this movie of Yeah, that's of possible. Yeah. <laughs> this, this kid is the offspring of the guy outside the strip show who keeps sleeping with his stripper sister. <laughs> Buzz asks what happened to Liz and the Barker suspects that the monster is probably done with her by now. Richie's car rolls up and Amy screams to see it again. When the Barker looks over, Buzz takes the opportunity to knock the gun from his hands and they wrestle for a bit, spinning around the room, hands at each other's throats. Buzz is obviously 30 years the man's junior, but the Barker has grizzled carny strength (laughs) and capably hands Buzz his ass here. Buzz recovers just long enough to shove the Barker backwards and impale him on a sword of a decorative knight in full plate mail. There's a lot of really dangerous props in this funhouse. Yeah, and they're all real. None of none of these are fake weapons. Do you guys recall the last time that someone in a full plate mail suit killed a person? Oh, that was uh, to all good night. That's right. <laughs> good night with a K. No, not true. Unfortunately, it looks like Buzz has also slightly stabbed himself on the same sword from where it pierced completely through the Barker. Buzz moves to check the dead Barker for a set of keys to escape with when the man shudders to life and pulls Buzz in close, stabbing him again with the broadsword through his chest. Buzz empties the Barker's handgun into him to escape. Now the monster drops into the scene and chases the couple away. Buzz squares off with the monster while Amy continues running until we hear a shot, and then she slowly makes her way back to see who survived. The big gold doors of the dark ride are pushed open by a cart rolling into the room, and standing in the cart is a clown mannequin, holding buzz's dead body which is the weirdest yeah kill reveal in the whole film amy can hear the monster running across the room one floor above her and makes a run for it again she is relentlessly terrified by the elements of the ride and runs around until she finds herself back in the room with xena's body only now liz's body is there too she locks the office door and relaxes against it for a moment until the monster bursts through the boarded up window beside her which reminded me of a similar move with the same framing last year in He Knows You're Alone when they're at the morgue and she's like leaning against the door and the guy punches through the window to grab her. Mm-hmm. Before he can get through the door, Amy works her way into a crawl space deep into the gearworks of the ride. Again, every potential escape door she finds is quadruple locked from the inside, which is a terrible fire hazard. She stops exploring the room near two enormous steel cogs grinding against each other when suddenly the monster drops down from above. He shoves her back and she bumps a wooden ladder, which is effortlessly chewed up by the teeth of the spinning cogs. She cracks the monster a few times with her crowbar, but when he yanks it away from her, he swings it behind him and buries it in the circuit breaker, electrocuting himself in the process. A lot of exposed circuitry in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. The monster is coincidentally snagged by the hooks moving along a track in the ceiling, and the hooks drag him across the room toward the killer cogs. 
These empty hooks are a weird thing too. Yeah. What is this for? I, I mean, don't know what this is. I assume I think that it's it was connected to the track. Maybe. But why does something need to hang down from below? Yeah. Why would there be hooks on it? Or if it was holding things like, you know, stuff that was flying through, like skeletons or something, shouldn't there be skeletons on it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand what these are for. <laughs> As his body passes Amy, he shakes awake and grabs her arm to take her with him. But once the gears start digging into him, he loses his grip on the girl and just starts freaking out. His motions and the sounds he makes here remind me a lot of Judge Doom as he's disappearing into the dip at the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. It's a very cartoony performance. Sadly, seeing the monster fall in half trapped in these gears must have been beyond the budget of the film. So instead, we just cut from the mad flailing to outside the funhouse in the light of day as Amy stumbles out of the building traumatized. The animatronic of the fat lady outside starts laughing suddenly and startles Amy. But then we get another gorgeous crane shot following her through the carnival towards Buzz's car. I hope she has his keys. Okay, the end. So this is the other thing that bothers me. So she promised to take him to the carnival this weekend. Mm-hmm. As did his parents at one point. Oh, we're going to take him tomorrow. Let's go tell him. Oh, no, we're not going to tell him. He's escaped out the window. Whatever. Everybody's planning to take him past today. Why is the carnival packing up right now? Is it packing up to leave? Yeah, they're pa- they're they're taking down tents. And and the know. and the Barker said that they're they're going to be out of here by tomorrow morning. Yeah. Like they both they both they all are like this is the last day, but they all were going to go the next day. I didn't catch that. <laughs> I think this is a Friday night and they were going to go on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why would they close the carnival you on don't. a Friday night? <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Or maybe they were like, "Oh, we murdered some people. It's time to close up shop, guys." Yep. Yeah. I'm also bothered a little bit at the end here by this shot of um, the monster going into the gears because I'm like, all right, this is our final kill moment. Like, it's going to be really cool. But instead, these gears, you know, like as gears do, they're totally con- connected. Like, they, they're interlocking. Yeah. But when we see him in the gears, there's a good, like, foot between the gears as they're turning to yeah. fit yeah. a human between them. And, and I'm it- like, they don't expand when he goes through. That's the whole point is he's being crushed. Like, why didn't you figure out some sort of makeup? To make it look like his torso has been completely flattened by these gears. Even if it was all dumb inserts, like mm. I would have taken that over what happens, which yeah. is that he's just sort of jammed there and screaming, but he never falls in half, which is like the obvious choice to do. Yeah, that. yeah. Unless it, they did that in a version and it didn't make the final cut or something, but I don't think that's what happened. I asked you guys to bring three of your favorite circus slash carnival titles. Um,. So we'll go through those now. Jesse, what was your what was your top carnival My number film? one is uh, Big Fish. That's a good call. Yeah, that's a very good I one. Just, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of earlier Tim Burton works, and I think this falls into the category still of good things that he's done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I read the book before I saw the movie, and I really loved the book, and I think that the movie – you know does the book justice yeah um the cast is so great and it's fun to see it's just really beautiful movie and they come back and you see all the the characters again for the funeral scene yeah i mean it's kind of yeah it's kind of a wizard of oz-esque thing where we're we're there there's truth behind the fantasy that we're seeing and there's a heartfelt story being told i I mean, one of my favorite movies is another movie where it's sort of like this mix of a reality and fantasy, and it's The Fall. Oh, Um, sure. You know, so we're telling a story, but it's got all these people that, you know, they've really are interacting with. Yeah. 
Richard, what was your top circus movie? Uh, my top one is uh, Batman Returns. And that's the the Red Triangle Circus? Is that what it's called? Um, I thought it was just called the Circus Gang. Uh, I think their their actual circus is called the Red Triangle Circus. The Red Triangle Circus. circus. Um, I, I mean, I know it's not really taking place at a carnival, but sure. their whole it's their whole shtick and all of their like gadgets and and uh antics is based around carnival themed atmosphere yeah um my favorite thing is vincent schiavelli with an organ grinding machine gun yeah uh but uh but you know and all all his henchmen stay in character of like clowns and and barkers and things like that so i figure it counts i think um (laughs) anthony delongas who we spoke with on our macgyver podcast i think he played one of those clowns in the circus scenes because oh, yeah? he was uh he was the whip trainer for okay yeah yeah, yeah. Um, for michelle pfeiffer on that film uh my number one is probably uh an obvious one but i really like todd browning's freaks yeah um th- the first time i saw it i fell completely in love with it because you have the the people in the movie are being played by people who actually did this as a profession who were famous nationwide this is like an all-star freak show basically and um I mean, you have Prince Randy in, and you have Zip. It's just, it's just a phenomenal cast. I think they they're actually decent actors for the mm-hmm. most part, and the ending is so dark that I just was like, I can't believe this is a movie and that this is how it ends. <laughs> yeah, and and it's and, great. and for the time that it was made. Yeah, because yeah. it what was it nineteen thirty two? It's like early thirties. Yeah, and the the shot of Prince Randy in crawling under the <laughs> wagon with a knife in his teeth is just like terrifying yeah but i love it so much i know that we've we fought over our daughter addie's first halloween costume because i dressed as gadget and made her zipper but you wanted her to be prince randian so we did both and we swaddled her to look like prince randian and stuck a little fake cigarette in her Mm -hmm. mouth and And a mustache and a mustache i'll put a i'll put a picture of uh of our oldest daughter when she was like she was less than a month old and she was prince randian from freaks for halloween (laughs) i'll put that on the instagram uh what was your number two jess um so my number two um another oldie but a goodie i think the original dumbo yeah i just think it's a classic movie i you know i still think the songs are amazing the animation's amazing um you know we i watch it frequently because you know we have young children but it's just it's just an all-around great movie oh yeah and it's also really short. It's like it's an really hour and short. six minutes. It's the way you're supposed to do kids' movies. Yeah. All right, Richard, what's your number two? Um, my number two is going to be Octopussy. All right, that's a good one. <laughs> um, I'm picking the most like weirdly random, not really carnival movies, carnival movies, I guess. So, like, so far I have the Batman movie and the James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love Roger Moore in that makeup, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, when he's trying to convince him that there's a nuclear bomb in this thing about to go off. Um, uh, because, but, but I feel, again, because all of the antics involve this traveling circus. Yeah. Um, and even the final battle, which is really terrible, um, they're all <laughs> like par- ballooning in on hot air balloons. And then during that, like, that fabric dance down the fabric to k- kill guards yeah <laughs> and it's like this is the most ridiculous fight ever yeah it's pretty wonderful i love that roger moore was seen as such a clown as james bond and they were like in this one you're literally gonna you're wear literally clown wrong. makeup for a bunch of it and he's like right whatever <laughs> just tell me where to stand 
Um, my second place is uh, Kyoto Brothers classic, The Killer Clowns from Outer Space, um, which is another one where the carnival is a little bit more central to the story, but um, the clowns are so fantastic and the cotton candy like cocoons that they're putting everybody in are mm-hmm. great. And all the visual effects are so amazing in that movie. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, what was your third one, Jess? I'm going to go with Big Top Pee Wee. Okay. You know. I don't know that one as well. I feel like yeah, I watched the other ones a lot more. I did, I did too, but I think in terms of movie styles, like that's just that's just my kind of movie. And it's an awesome cast yeah. that's filling out that. I think yeah. Susan Tyrell's in there and Chris Christopherson, like a bunch of great people. It, it's a very... It's a very strange follow-up to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Because it it, it, ha- it takes nothing from the original universe over into that next universe. Yeah. And what was your third one? Uh, my third one is uh, the Jim Henson Mirror Mask. Oh, okay. Oh, I've okay. never seen that one, actually. Yeah, I like Mirror Mask a lot. Yeah. it's. I mean, it, it takes place mostly in a fantasy world, but it, the whole thing is that she's part of a, 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 a I want to say a circus family. But she's part of a of a, a family of performers. Yeah, um, and it's all about her dealing with the grief of her mother Ill- mother's illness. Yeah, um, my third one on my list here is Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Is that circusy? I, it's been so long since I've seen it. The main characters have a very very small circus. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I was thinking about that, but I wasn't sure if it would fit. I I I realize it it does. Yeah uh but that's a good poll yeah i I just um in spite of like obviously they had a a lot of trouble making the film because heath ledger passed away you know uh, a month into production and they ended up casting who is it uh uh johnny johnny depp Depp and jude law and colin farrell yeah Yeah. to play him in the three different like fantasy worlds that they go into but um but i think what they got out of it is still a a pretty great film Mm -hmm. i think lily cole uh is fascinating yeah. uh, in that performance I, I haven't really seen her and enjoyed her work in anything since then but i remember in that movie being like i need to pay attention to this lily cole person and see what she's yeah. doing next and andrew garfield right yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh and tom waits tom waits as, yes. like, the, i remember liking everything about that movie except the visual effects and i'm like yeah this is this is always what happens that's been Gil- gillian's Terry problem Gilliam. after fear and loathing in las vegas basically yeah, well, There's too and, much CG, you know, and the d- disaster with his Don Quixote stuff. Like, I feel like nobody's willing to give him the the money that he needs to make the movies that he should be making anymore. Mm. Which I is think- just so sad because I just absolutely love Terry Gilliam movies. Can I change my answer? <laughs> <laughs> so what, D- Doctor Parnassus? Yeah, I'm like, forget Pee Wee. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I liked Mirror Mask and and Parnassus better mm. than Pee Wee. <laughs> well, I just um. I feel like the uh, the last time that his visual effects budget matched uh, his ambitions for the film mm-hmm. was The Brothers Grimm, which I actually really liked, and I liked the way Weren't that- the visual effects good in that? Yes. Like, I remember, the like, the mud okay. monsters were impressive for the time. I have to rewatch that one. I mean, it might not look great now, but I remember watching it at the time and being like, wow, they, like, this looks expensive. I figure you were going to go back further to before he did anything CG in his movies. <laughs> no, no. I, I legitimately was impressed with that one. And, and yeah. it got shit on by the critics. Like, yeah. they hated that movie. But I thought it was really fun. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know that there's a Terry Gilliam movie that I don't like. 
I think I like. That I don't one. know if I've seen anything after Brothers Grimm. Uh, Tideland. I loved Tideland. I, I I'm not as big into Tideland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw Don Quixote um, when it finally came out. And and Zero Theorem is a. A bit of a rough watch. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I never watched that one. That's the one that's like a, f- a future world. I guess yeah, they, they yeah, all are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's either way in the past or way in the future. He doesn't do any present day stuff. Um, going to our some of our Twitter recommendations. At Dr. Butcher MD2 suggested Strangers on a Train, which is a great one. Mm. Um, the, the whole ending set pieces in a carnival. Hmm. Um, and it's like one of the best scenes in my favorite hitchcock film when the whole carousel is flying crazily out of whack and it's just flings everybody apart at unsung horrors suggested santa sangre okay which i haven't actually seen but it's the alejandro jadorowski yeah yeah. so that one's probably a good one because i really like el topo and i like the holy mountain i just haven't gotten around to santa sangre yet at horror zone 607 suggested the fun house that's just that's their favorite is the the fun house (laughs) uh, which is fair (laughs) uh at furious cinema said paper moon which i also really like mm. um and it's it's a small portion of the movie but they do spend time at the carnival enough that the title comes from you know something that they did at the carnival get their picture taken on a paper moon and then the game for a movie podcast suggested birds of prey uh which is the harley quinn one uh, okay they're technically at an abandoned carnival right mm-hmm. for the for the big fight i don't end. think we got through the opening uh voiceover for that yeah movie i didn't, we I didn't get off. super far into the harley <laughs> quinn movie you know it, it gets pretty watchable a little ways in when you get to more of uh uh ewan mcgregor just like being crazy i was like yeah yeah i like crazy ewan mcgregor i don't like we only saw the first scene where she starts to beat up the guy in the bar or whatever yeah like the supporting cast is much more interesting like mary elizabeth winstead is really fun yeah she's always great um because she's really self-conscious about her coming out as a superhero (laughs) (laughs) she's like you don't you don't like the costume (laughs) like like she's like so like she wants to kill people but she she like wants to feel good about doing it yeah um and Rosie Perez is really funny as a dr- drunk uh, Montoya. Um, that is what I, th- I like the way that she played it. Uh, anyway, it, I I actually kind of liked the movie later on. Yeah, not, not the first half, but the second half is much more enjoyable. Well, I I will get back into it. I I, I owe it that much. Also, oh, the trailer for uh, for the Suicide Squad just dropped today, and oh, it's great. It. Oh so. yeah, it looks significantly better than yeah. all the rest of the so DC movies. I have to see all of the Harley Quinn movies leading up to it to completely understand her character arc. Um, (laughs) On the discord side, (laughs) on the discord side, Ray H suggested house of a thousand corpses, the Rob zombie film with uh, what's the actor's name as Dr. Satan, Sid Haig, Sid Haig. There you go. The the images I have of Sid Haig is in clown makeup. Yeah. No, he, yeah, he is. It's been years since I've seen it. I'm trying to, trying to recall. I know everybody's kind of, carnival-esque but i thought it was just a house like i didn't think it was like it's not at a carnival is it well i i don't know but if he's in clown makeup that's close to counting maybe they work at a carnival i don't really remember that one i never saw that one i started with devil's rejects and mm. i've seen his his halloween movies i actually really liked how i remember really liking house of the it's rain Horses. wilson's in there right yes yeah yeah that's one of his early movies um, his other suggestion was Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which I had on my list. And then he also suggested Carnival of Souls, which is uh, another one. I don't know that one. Uh, it's a good one. Uh, Steven Sperling suggested Dumbo. 
and I, he's referring to the the animated one the uh, original from yeah. the same one from he's your list yeah uh he suggested the circus uh which is from 1928 it's a chaplin film where the tramp joins the circus okay and uh his third one was freaks which was also on my list and uh listener tanya suggested dumbo the animated feature again so that's three votes for dumbo which makes it the winner and also water for elephants oh, which uh yeah. i really enjoyed that movie um i read the book first because it was a nano remo book uh the national novel right. writing month um and i just wanted to see oh what could someone write in a month <laughs> like what is this gonna sound like and and it's actually a pretty interesting book and the movie uh, follows it very well so um yeah so those are those are the our carnival slash circus picks for uh for this episode um, our director for this film was Toby Hooper. He's best known for Texas Chainsaw Massacre and later Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Between them, he did this, Poltergeist, and one of my favorites, Life Force. And then yes. Invaders from Mars, which I still haven't seen. I, I don't, But I, I did show you guys, because we were talking about... After Blood, Blood Beach. Beach yeah. show, the, just so people have a reference. After we watched Blood Beach, I was showing them the clips of people being sucked into the sand in Invaders from Mars, and it still terrifies me. Yeah. I, I like the way both movies did it. I think yeah. they they each had their own their their own way to go. But the the way that Hooper does it, where they're spiraling in this giant circle of sand, yeah. is pretty uh, terrifying. In the '90s, Hooper directed Spontaneous Combustion, The Mangler, Toolbox Murders, and Mortuary. He also directed the music video for Billy Idol's Dancing with Myself, in which Hooper actually reused props from this film, including one of the laughing animatronics, the guy with the rising chest that i thought yeah. was one of the more convincing robots um and sadly we just lost toby hooper in 2017 uh our writer here lawrence j block he later wrote the 1990 captain america tv movie but those were the only two credits that i recognized this and that uh cinematographer andrew laszlo was the dp on the out of towners in 1970 which we covered for a patreon review last year just before this he worked on the warriors and we'll see his work again on southern comfort later this season he later lensed First Blood, Remo Williams, Poltergeist 2, Inner Space, Star Trek V, Ghost Dad, and Newsies. It's a good variety of things. Yeah. Uh, I really like the the lighting for this movie for the most part. Um, I, I feel like it could have been a problem that it was too dark mm-hmm. in places. I feel like it was only dark where it made sense to be dark. Well, and we and we and I think because a lot of times we watch these horror films and they're such bad transfers yeah. that when things are supposed to be dark but lit enough for you could see if you were seeing it in the theater yeah the the quality of transfer we're watching where the blacks are so compressed and distorted that everything's mm-hmm. just incredibly dark all the time but the colors are very vivid here too yeah. that make it you give it the circusy atmosphere our editor was jack hofstra he edited the stuntman last year he's back for best little whorehouse next year and later the super and gone fishing pair of joe pesci films uh, Rick Baker was originally slated to play the monster until director Hooper found performance mime Wayne Doba um, to play the part. And uh, Rick Baker is obviously a very famous makeup artist. He has more Oscars than anyone else for makeup. Last year for Elephant Man went unnominated mm, for best right. makeup because it was not an Oscar category yet. But then they started it this year and Rick Baker won it this year for um, An American Werewolf in London. Right. And he won many more beyond that. It's also rumored that Rob Bottin worked on this in some capacity. I couldn't confirm that. Yeah, I looked on. I, I was looking for his name specifically. But yeah, he usually see. shows up on on the same stuff as Rick Baker, but I'm I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up and helped out on some stuff. 
Elizabeth Barrage played Amy Harper. She's probably best known as Constance Mozart in Amadeus or Officer Eve Eggers on the John Larroquette show. She's also Annie Oakley in Hidalgo. She's married to Kevin Corrigan, who was on Grounded for Life for a long time, but I always think of his character Rocky the Goon from Buffalo 66, who's like Vincent Gallo's only friend that he just calls him on the phone all the time and mm. makes fun of him. Uh, Sean Carson played Joey Harper, the brother. He was Jim Nightshade in Something Wicked This Way Comes, and that's it. Just this and that. Jack McDermott played Mr. Harper, the father. Uh, he was Win in The Final Countdown last year. Cooper Huckabee is Buzz Dawson. We had him in Urban Cowboy last year. I discussed his work in 1980's Getting Wasted for a minisode this season. He's back later this year as Homer in The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper, and I had a brief conversation with him on our previous podcast to discuss his appearance on MacGyver, and we bonded over our appreciation of Pee-wee movies because at the time he was auditioning for the Netflix Pee-wee film, which he landed. He, he's, he's in the film as the minister during Pee-wee's shotgun wedding. Largo Woodruff played Liz Duncan. Last year, she was one of the UFO followers in Stardust Memories. Miles Chapin played Richie Atterbury. Later this year, we'll see him as Eddie the Bellhop in Buddy Buddy. He's also Carter in Howard the Duck. And then a couple minor roles in Milos Forman films, The People vs. Larry Flint and Man on the Moon. Sonia Zamina played Bag Lady. She's Lunar Cruiser in Nothing Lasts Forever, the lost Bill Murray film that just recently started showing up at the far corners of the internet. Kevin Conway played the Freak Show Barker, the Strip Show Barker, and the Funhouse Barker. He agreed to appear in the film on the condition that he could play all three Carnival Barkers. <laughs> uh, he's also... Thus, thus might not have been helping your confusion <laughs> with all these people running around that <laughs> Looking look, the same. Yeah. yeah, almost everyone that works here is either the same actor or the dead psychic, or (laughs) the ticket taker. He's also Roland Weary in Slaughterhouse-Five. He's Stitch in Paradise Alley, and later he'll show up as Eugene Dredd in The Quick and the Dead. Wayne Doba played the monster. Uh, His two biggest roles are this and Octavio the Clown in Scarface, uh, which is a clown character that that performs at a dance club until he is shot to death on stage. Um, And he's also Scorpion in the movie Monkey Bone. William Finley played Marco the Magnificent. That was the magician. Uh, He was a scientist in Simon last year, and he was also the voice on the phone of the killer in Dress to Kill. They cheated Ah. it, and they had him do the voice on the phone. But he's probably best known as the the titular Phantom of the Paradise and a bunch of other creepy De Palma characters. I didn't even recognize him in here. Yeah, he's just super tall, and he's wearing, like, white face makeup as a magician. So yeah. And he was in, like, three seconds of the movie. Yeah. Sylvia Miles played Madame Zena. She was Dolores the Realtor in Wall Street and Cass in Midnight Cowboy. And I didn't mention it before, but um, there was another movie that was recommended to us uh, in the circus genre called Nightmare Alley. Um, I have not seen that. Uh, I've, I've watched half of it so far, um, but it's from 1945, I believe. And the psychic character is named Madame Zena. So that might be a specific reference to that movie. I know Toby Hooper was a fan of Nightmare Alley, so I think he might have taken it from there. I also had, as an honorable mention on my circus list, the uh, the X Files episode Humbug. Oh, yeah. Uh, which That's is a great episode. Good it's, stuff. A, it's another uh, Vincent Schiavelli <laughs> yeah, circus moment. Gonna, yeah, it's really, and but also with real performers, right? Yeah, playing parts like they had the, the blockhead that with and the illustrated man mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, it's a good episode. 
Raymond Fortune played Man Intense Show, uncredited. I don't know which person that would be, but I have reviewed his appearance in Island Claws for a belated Minnesota earlier this season, and he also plays cops in Mac and Me, Revenge of the Nerds 2, and Fly to the Navigator, and me and Jeff saw him at a Q&A for a Navigator screening at the Egyptian last year, where he remembered a surprising amount of his yeah. uh, his work on the film for someone who I think shot for like a week. Um, that's everything I had for cast on this one. Well, I just wanted to bring up a cast member just because his name is Frank Grimes. Oh, I saw that too. And I was like, <laughs> I wish he had more credits. There's nothing to bring up other than he has the same name as one of my favorite Simpsons characters. That was old grimy. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to wear protective gear because I'm Homer Simpson. <laughs> uh yeah so that was it i heard when i saw his name in the cancel, I was like break grabs yeah yeah um i think for me this is a thumbs up it's a reluctant thumbs up because i actually like the whole story there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of it but i feel like it could have been really really cool and it's just okay yeah i mean i feel like it's not a thumbs up for me. Yeah. It's not super reluctant either. I don't feel like there's enough here for me to, you know, like story wise to grab onto. I think that the only thing for me that this movie has going for it is the creature makeup. Yeah. Which is um, great. Which is awesome. And, but I just feel like there just needed to be more story, uh, you know, and, and, and maybe more things actually incorporated from the funhouse itself, because I feel like it played a kind of a minor role. It didn't really come into the story until the last third. And also like a single gruesome death would have been nice because we literally just have one character lifted up out of the shot. Another character drops out of the shot. He gets axed in the head too. Yeah, but he's already dead when that happens. Is he? I... I assumed he's not. Oh, I, I thought the implication is that he definitely is. No, see, dead. I thought it was worse because they're like, you killed your friend, not us. We just no. tied him up and knocked him out and unconscious, and you're the one who killed him. No, I, I thought I thought it was clear that he was already dead because they didn't have him say anything or do anything when he got the axe in the head. Yeah, I don't know. We'll leave that up uh, for interpretation. I think it's ambiguous. So I'm I wish say. it was less ambiguous. Yeah, I, agree. I wish he he got the axe on the head and he just started screaming. Or or if he had his mouth duct tape and he was just like, mm, mm, like yeah, like like. And and so they thought it was the monster because yeah. he's making those sounds. That'd be great. <laughs> we just wrote a better scene. Um, it's and a, then he's like, "Oh my god, it's Richie!" And he keeps swinging the axe <laughs> at him. Shut the fuck up, Richie! You're terrifying me. <laughs> oh my god, Buzz is the killer. Uh, buzzkill haha but uh it's a thumbs down for me um and and not just because it's a horror film right um it it was actually very well shot very well put together um i didn't have a lot of real problems with it except for the weird little brother b plot that doesn't really go go anywhere um and and i still don't understand why his parents were so weird and i and i don't i think it's a lot of stuff that got shot and cut out Mm. and uh but you know everything else is it's it's fine it's fine yeah i mean texas chainsaw massacre is still my like number one if i had to rank every horror film texas chainsaw massacre is the number one on my list and it's crazy to think that you could tell me oh the guy who directed that did a movie about it's a slasher film that takes place at a carnival in with a fun a, house with a monster yeah with a with you're a like oh my god it's mutant. gonna be amazing like, there's no way that's not good 
And it's like, it turns out it wasn't great. And then he yeah. also does Life Force, which is Well, Life like, Force is phenomenal. What? Yeah. That's, that's my problem is that I, I wish that he had shown the same insane ambition with this movie as he did with Life Force. But then again, this is also his first studio film. Yeah. Um, and so he's working within the boundaries of like a universal situation. And I think he, he didn't veer too far off of the script for the movie. So, um, I just wish it had gone a little bit crazier. I feel like like after the success of Poltergeist, regardless of whether or not you believe or that he did or did not direct it, uh, I don't know, we probably don't want to delve too deep into sure. that hole, but uh, a lot of the stuff I'm reading lately is that that Steven, he and Steven Spielberg had a deal because Spielberg could not direct another film because he was in pre-production. Yeah. Um, and his contract forbade it, so he he worked out a deal with Toby and said, Hey, if you pretend to be the director so that I can work on this film, you know, and, and just, you'll just hang out with me on the set. But some of the cast, including like Craig T. Nelson say Spielberg was there sporadically yeah. over the course of the production, but he wasn't there every day because he was in pre-production on another film. Yeah. I mean, and so, it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, there's as many articles as you can find in favor of one side, you'll find against it yeah so i i feel it's pretty the only people who really know are spielberg and hooper but hooper would not have gotten the poltergeist job had he not done this movie because yeah. it paid for itself it was not critically lambasted like siskel and ebert liked it and they don't like slasher movies mm-hmm. but that's probably because this is a failure of a slasher movie <laughs> um but uh because the, he was able to make something for a major studio that was horror in a way that the studio wanted it to be then he was able to carry that over into the contract for poltergeist but then he you know after that he ended up sliding into the canon oeuvre and he's doing movies like invaders from mars and life force and uh and then sequelizing his big ticket item with texas chainsaw massacre 2 which is great um it's a very different film than the first texas chainsaw massacre but um but and and i i will freely admit that invaders from mars leaves a lot to be desired but i as a kid i was uh, i adored that movie and life force i've only come to see as an adult and i totally adore that movie. yeah <laughs> the movie is just insane i i knew nothing going in and i sat down and started watching i was like wait what is this about <laughs> holy shit is this what i think it is when and do it we just get there i haven't seen it i think it's 84 85 85 it's 85 the golden year of the, of best, the 80s best oh man 85 is gonna have some fun stuff um, where's this going letterboxed wise? Uh, I have it kind of middle of the road. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. Uh, I have it at number 14 out of 28 here, which I guess exactly, exactly in, the middle. in the middle of the road. Uh, it's below on the right track, but above Fort Apache, the Bronx. Wow. I have it in 10th place, but it's below on the right track and above Fort <laughs> Apache, the Bronx. Well, there you go. <laughs> I have it in 17th place, and it's not between either of those movies. <laughs> uh, it's below uh, Charlie Chan. Uh, and, below Charlie Chan. Yeah. Woof. Uh, and, but above Devil and Max Devlin. Okay. Um, I think that's everything for the fun house. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. You can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. 
Oh, and do you guys hear that? What's that sound? We got one! That's right, we got another patron. Rich Bergen, thank you so much for your contribution to the show. We really appreciate it. You now have access to all of our monthly 70s reviews and a bunch of belated minisodes that we've released so far this year. So go take a look at those when you get a chance. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing modern romance, which IMDb describes like so. Albert Brooks directs himself as a successful film editor with far too many issues that affects the relationship between him and his remarkably patient girlfriend. Thanks, IMDb. (laughs) We leave you now with the trailer for Modern Romance. I don't think that we should go out anymore. I mean, I, I just think it's over. Okay, it's over again. No, not again. This is it. This is the last time. It's for real. You've heard of a no-win situation, haven't you? No. Really, no? You've never heard of one? Vietnam? This? After Robert broke up with a girl of his dreams... Don't call me either, okay? Drop dead. Very sweet. Thanks. He was single. There's 10 million people in this city alone. How difficult can it be to find one perfect person? It's not that big a deal. He was free. A call. A call, Mr. Popularity. Mr. Popularity. Hello. He took vitamins. You broke up with somebody. Uh Uh-huh. You're going to need C, magnesium. He started running. One, two, three. I don't even miss her. Two, three. He started dating. Ellen, Ellen, out of the past. Ellen, Petey, Ellen. He had everything a modern guy could want. Robert Cole, everything you do from this moment on will only make you feel better. He felt awful. I'm alone now. I don't want to play lewd. What am I going to do, hug myself? Please, I don't... Okay. Got another one. Columbia Pictures presents a film by Albert Brooks, Modern Romance. What are you doing here? You're going out on a date, aren't you? Robert, I'm closing the door. Okay. You two didn't get along. You said it yourself. All you ever did was fight. So who is he? You slept with him? Twice? I'm going home. All right, hold it. That's all we ever did. I'm telling you, we fought and fought, and then we had great sex. We never really could talk. Yesterday you told me you didn't want to see me. Cheap talk. I love you very much, Mary. I know you do. Oh, I know you do. I guess that's the same as I love you too. Sure. Albert Brooks and Catherine Harold in Modern Romance. If it isn't love, what is it? I love you very much. Mary.